Someone said they had a question. Was it Jyoti? Jyoti, was it yourself? Uh, yes, just taking myself off mute. Um, I, you know, a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, uh, we talked about um, the optimum times of the day. And yeah. that's got to do with the three... Um, sorry, forgive me if I've forgotten stuff. And, that's uh, it. Like the Dhammas and Rajas and... Yeah. Sattvic. Um, sattvic, that's it. Now, the optimum time is four till six. Is that right? Yes. And I, I and you know, um, without even coming to the Vedanta class and you telling us that or knowing that, I feel that is that's correct because um, you when when you say it. And then you put it together in your head and you think, yeah, that's true, actually, because I do get up early and I do find that's the most productive part of my day um, between four and six. But when we were talking about it, what came to my um, uh, mind then is like, for example, I'm a mother of two teenagers and, and as are so many other people. But teenagers are never going to get up at that time. Never. Mm -hmm. And so... Are, are they just a lost cause when it comes to this until they are old enough for that wisdom or um, does that make sense? Is that why they are the way they are then? Because they are not around that um, optimum time or that kind of stuff. Do, do I make, am I making sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So if, um, your question is, but because, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, um, your question is that, um, Sattvic time is between four and six. Um, so if a person doesn't respect that time um, to gain this knowledge, does that mean that they have um, no chance of gaining this knowledge? Is that what your question is? Not just gaining their knowledge, but um, the, the, you know, the times they get up, you've now been moving into logistic and Thomas yeah. times. Yeah. And, and I feel that's why then the youth are sometimes the way they are then. So, including my own children. Yeah. And how do we, um, we because, you know, all this uh, Vedanta and wisdom and philosophy and spirituality, I think only comes with experience and age. And I would really like to know how I could, um, without enforcing it on with the young youth or the children. Mm. Mm. Good question. So, open it up to the group. How can we, how can we educate our children in this wisdom and encourage them to, to understand the benefits of this wisdom? As you said, you can't force them. 
Nothing forced ever gets taken. So think about it, everyone. This is a practical question. It's not a spiritual question. Have you thought about it, Shashi? Yes. Go. Um, is it by um, us studying and us changing with our studies and the knowledge and the wisdom and they seeing the changes within us that would then inspire them to follow suit? Yeah, very Basically good. Basically, lead, lead by example. Very, very good. Yes, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Anybody else? How can we encourage our children to follow this path, take on this knowledge, not to become spiritual, but to help them in their life? We see the benefits of this knowledge, how it can help us in everyday life without having to turn spiritual. But how can we encourage them to take it? Dermish. You can't, to be fair, in the same way, if someone on the street you met, you would think it's useful for them, unless they're ready for it and their mind is open to it, mm. they can't, they will not listen or will not move to it unless they're ready at that stage of life mm -hmm. and that part of their mind is open. Yeah. But like, as you said before, you know, we have asters to complete and desires. Mm -hmm. If we are not completing the desires we want, we're not looking at anything else. Okay. Especially when the desires are so strong. Fair enough, Dermis. Fair comment. Saying that unless they have the vasana for it, you can't. Because I've been trying talking to my son about it. And I, I feel the same for Jyoti as well. Yeah. It's almost impossible for them to wake up early. My daughter will wake up early. Yeah. Play and read. Yeah. But my son, it takes you know, practice. He wakes up before 11 o'clock, he's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of hard work in front of you then. Dermish, at least yours is 11, yeah? <laughs> at least yours is 11. <laughs> oh, no, no, the is 14, man. Come on. Yeah, that's true. You're just yeah. talking about tamasic time, Jody. Surely you're not talking about tamasic time, yeah? You're talking about just. Uh, I'm talking about waking up in majestic times and then coming alive in tamasic times. <laughs> 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 Does everyone understand the time difference, first of all? Um, Nilam, can you explain the time difference, please? Yeah. So four till six is the Sapphic time. Six, that's in the morning. And then six to, in the morning till six in the evening is Majestic time. So that's when we're more active, we're getting our chores and our daily activities done. And then six in the evening till four in the mornings, the tamasic time when we're a bit more susceptible to things like gambling and all those vices, like watching millions of um, episodes of something on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we all can identify with that. But, I, mean, I suppose the only thing I'd add, I mean, I'm not a parent, but um, I, think, I think we can use the knowledge um, to help us relate better to either your own children or children around you. Yeah. Because, you know, if you can understand um, that, you know, their behavior, a lot of it's to do with their vasanas and um, just kind of have a bit of a, seek to understand them better. One, that will improve your relationship with them. And they're more likely then to come to wanting to 
speak to you about stuff or maybe come to this understanding um maybe sooner than you think but as soon as they notice any sense of us trying to impose it it's it will actually switch them off and make life harder so you can't impose anything especially to your own kids because they won't listen others kids may listen oh uncle is telling me something let me listen but your own kids they don't want to know it's normal it's normal we can all identify with that. Okay, Sil's got something to say. Um, if we understand what childhood is about, it's meant to be about playing and learning. And I think it was either last week or the week before, we talked about this idea of when is it that we're ready, even as adults, to go on the spiritual path or enhance our spiritual kind of pathway. We, we were told that unless our basic needs are met, we wouldn't be able to think of something higher. Yeah. So for example, if we didn't have a job, we'd want to concentrate on getting that before we can think about something else. We didn't have a house, a roof over our head, food on the table. So the priority would be overtaken within worldly things. And that's for us as an adult. For children, it's really difficult, like you said, unless they've got the vasana for it, it would be difficult for them to think about something because their whole world is about playing, enjoying themselves thinking about other things away that are from spirituality. Do you know what I mean? And if we're thinking about the hours of 46, yeah, so the idea is, is that when you study anything, regardless of whether it's spiritual or text with knowledge within the world, it would be a benefit because you're far more able to retain it. But if you are fighting against the time you're not going to absorb anything that's why it's so important to go to sleep and which child if they get up at 11 a.m is going to be in bed by 9 p.m do you know what i mean so it has like a roll-on effect mm. but i don't know if children if we're right to say that you know because they want to play and enjoy themselves right now. Until they're 16, they, they wouldn't have uh, the ability to understand this subject. And the intellect only comes in at about the age of about 13. See, um, and that's why in all religions they have this ceremony, even the Jew, Jew, Jewish, they have a ceremony uh, at 13, the child becomes an adult. I think in uh, other cultures, they have that string. They do this ceremony and they put the string on around there yeah. in Chennai, in South India. So this is all because of coming of age, because the intellect is now manifesting in the, in the child at 13. Until then, he's mind-led. He cannot think. So until they're that age, they're not thinking for themselves. So they have to depend on you. But come 16, then you can slowly introduce this subject. But not in the subject in a dry way, like 
you know, read this. It's more, it has to be more practical. Anybody else would like to uh, help Judy? So, I think with uh, children, we, uh, when we are brought up, we are taught religion, not spirituality. And we, everything is taking part in an activity, as in religious. So if we're doing the Diva, it's an activity. We're doing Mara, it's an activity. You're reading Bhagavad Gita or the Ramayana, it's all activity and storytelling. Whereas when you're separated with the kids now and you tell them spiritual, spirituality is self-discipline and a way of life, if we teach it, teach it to them that way, that everything that we learn in spirituality is how to control our mind, anger, uh, vastness. So when you say about vastness, we can tell them about emotions, desires. So if you, you speak to them in their terms with the, that level of understanding, it's much, much easier. Hmm. Because I'm going, like I, when I speak to Drusana and them now, I will explain it to them. That if you get angry, hmm. you're causing your own fire to burn. And to put up the fire, we need to calm down ourselves. So hmm. I think when you start teaching them spirituality in that manner, it's easier to do it. And then they become prepared for further readings. But like you say, you can't just tell them, read this chapter and we're going to discuss it. Because I read them uh, uh, a story book from uh, the Swaminarayan, and it's about a guru. How did his journey go? So now when they, because they go to that school, they, their practice and teachings is about their gurus. So the disciplines of their gurus from a young age. So how do you put in place all the dis different types of disciplines within ourselves? And if, if we separate the two, then it's much easier to understand one thing at a time. But we can't do two things at the same time. Okay. Anybody have any questions for Shilavin? Understanding, to understand what she was saying? I think what she meant was to make it practical so they can understand. They only know, still said, playing games and, you know, enjoying life and so on. But even for that, you need to, you need to understand how to play properly, how to live life properly, how to interact with your friends properly, you know. Um, and uh, Shashi nailed it on the head. You have to teach by example. If you're telling the kids not to get angry and not to fight, you've got to make sure that you're passive and thoughtful and thinking clearly. If you're fighting and then you're telling your children not to fight, then that's not going to work, is it? Because they learn from you. So therefore, if you take in this knowledge and live by this knowledge, automatically they'll, lead, uh, they'll, they'll see you and they'll follow your principles. Uh, on that note, sorry, I get by. I, I I totally agree with you about lead by example, and they are who they. But but then that also goes against um, nature because we are all my I my nature is different to my children's nature and mm -hmm. my and as is everyone else's nature. Yeah. 
So, see, the thing is, what, what we're saying here is that you have to be able to analyze their personality. And for that, you need to understand how to analyze people's personality, which is what we're part of one of the topics we're discussing. Sattvic, Rajasic, Tamasic, you know, um, and just is emotional, intellectual, um, you know, uh, and all those things. Once you identify his nature, you can then deal, deal with your child based on, you have to be able to deal with them in the way they understand it. So for that, you need to understand how, what, how, what they're functioning, how they're functioning. You with me, Jyoti? You can't just... Yeah, definitely. You can't just say what you feel because they may not, you may be talking a different language to them. So you've got to talk their language. And for that, you need a bit of knowledge so that you can deal with it in that way. So, no, I agree. Thank you. Yeah, you can't just read something and give it to them because they won't understand it. You can read something, think about how they would take that, in what language you can talk to them about that topic, and then explain it to them. Also, how it would advantage them, how it would benefit them. I give sense? examples, yeah, yeah. And give examples. So you have to talk their language. But in order to be able to talk their language, you have to, you have to know what language they're talking. Meaning their Definitely. personality. Thank you. Thank you for that. And both, child, think... both children may be different. You may have to talk a different language with daughter and the son separately in a different way. Very true. You see, so this is, so therefore you have to develop yourself with understanding and knowledge so that you can then speak to them. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for everyone's contribution. I hope that helps you. Yeah, it does. Um, Good. Uh, a lot. Thank you. Good. Any other questions, clarifications to any of the classes or general topic? Did everyone understand uh, last Sunday's class about religion we discussed and um, trying to understand the role of religion? Well, Skarmash, anything? Any questions? Clarifications? Have you guys noticing any difference since you've been coming to classes of the way you look at the world, the way you look at people? Because that would be a sign of your own development. Are you analyzing more your own actions? Are you aware of your own desires as they pop up? Where did this come from? Do I need to fulfill it? No, I don't. Put it aside. What is my goal? You'll find that slowly you will be more aware of your actions to the point where you're looking at your actions as a third party, as a, as a third person. Sangita, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. So you're a psychologist, isn't it? Child psychologist. Yeah. yeah. How is this well, uh, 
subject? Does it help in, does it giving you a better understanding? Yeah, I mean, I, like when we're doing the personality and things like that, I had already covered that part of it. So it was actually quite good because it was like a refresher. Right. Um, but yeah, obviously what we're covering, it, it, does, it does help definitely. And I can put that into my practice as well. Okay, good, good. So, I had nothing planned for that this evening, so I'm, I thought I'd leave it to you. If not, I'll have to get one, grab a book and read something. <laughs> so remember, this Sunday we're not having, we haven't got a class. We're doing the, we're watching Swamiji's lecture at two o'clock. So I'll pass the link to everyone before then. Yeah. Okay. If there's no questions, then I had something to read. Uh, this book is called The Symbolism of Hindu Gods and Rituals. Since we covered religion, um, since we covered religion uh, last Sunday, so I thought I'll pick something from here. And it's just an introduction. It's the introduction in the book. I'm going to read it and then if there's any questions, we can talk about it. The Hindu scriptures are a unique blend of the subtle philosophy of Vedanta. On one hand, and gross fetish worship on the other. On one hand, and gross fetishist worship on the other. Hinduism appears a strange amalgam of the highest classical literature with gods and goddesses, rituals and festivals, ceremonies and celebrations. The Hindus themselves are confused and confounded by this mixture. The Vedas, the very source of Hinduism, authoritatively proclaim that the reality is one and one alone. Why then do the Hindus fall into manifold denominations and follow a variety of conflicting spiritual practices? Why so many gods, so many divisions, sects, creeds and castes? Why then does not Hinduism concentrate on one God, one ritual, one practice, like other religions? Such questions have baffled even intellectuals from time immemorial. So, how would, you, how would you answer that? Why so many gods, so many creeds, so many castes? If Hinduism, the philosophy says there's only one God. Hinduism speaks of one God, the Supreme Self in all, Atman Brahman. So why so many gods and goddesses? Ganesha, Subramanyu, Siva, Natraj, Vishnu, Brahma, Krishna, Rama. Why so many gods? Any ideas? And we're studying that there's only one God. Yeah. Well, they have different departments to look after. Different departments. Can you be more specific? Like Lakshmiji, if you want money, you have to ask Lakshmiji. I can't uh, pray to Lord Vishnu. Okay. Uh, if I need uh, knowledge, I have to pray to Saraswati. Right. 
Then if I, uh, then Shiva, obviously they, the one is, um, although they are one and the same thing, they call it, the mm. creator, the sustainer, and, uh, but every, like Nataraja is a god of dance. So you worship yeah. when you're going to your prayer before you start your dance. Yeah. So Hence, we have so many different uh, deities. So why is that? This is the point. If we say there's only one God, Atman, Brahman, whatever you want to call it, Father in heaven, Allah, if we just say it's one God, then why are there so many gods? You're right. This is the gods and they represent these powers. But why so many? Any ideas? Dharmesh. So, as we said before, we're a sea and we're a droplet. So people are just naming the droplets of water. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's their understanding is easier to understand one droplet than to understand that we're a whole ocean. But, they're saying, but they're saying it's complicating things. It, it is and it isn't because in the same way we can't explain everything or understand everything, our desires, where they come from, and everyone's desires are different. They must think all oh, gods are different, but really they're the same. Okay. It's just a way of making it simple for people to understand. Okay. You're half right and you're half wrong, I'm sorry to say. That's okay. I remember once I was on a journey with myself, Hindu, an Englishman, and a, and a and a Muslim, and we're on a long road trip. <laughs> and uh, the Muslim chap asked me the same question. This is before I came across this subject, by the way. Why are you believe in so many gods, hundreds of gods? Why is that? And I didn't have an answer for him. I didn't know at that time there's only one God. So it's, um, it's only now I understand. But this is the problem. Everybody even Hindus don't understand why there's so many gods. So I was a Muslim person or Englishman, Christian gonna understand why is there so many gods. This is what we're talking about. Why so many? Who wants to take a crack at it? Why so many gods? It's quite a practical, but Anta is very practical, and there's a practical reason for it. Surinbari, any uh, Is it uh, one, electric one electricity, different appliances can, we can use different types of appliances. So hence it's the same thing with all the gods and goddesses that come, that it's one energy, mm -hmm. different worship will, will direct you to different things. And obviously they come in different eras as well. Because Krishna came quite late after Krishna came Ram. I mean, Ram came, then Krishna, then both. So yeah. they were in the form of humans. Whereas when uh, religion really was created on earth, but Saraswati and all of them, they were already there. They just played different roles for different, like the, all the 
Shaktis are one and the same thing, like Parvati's the one, but she came at different times in different places and they have different powers at that time. They manifest different powers. Manifest so, different powers. You're absolutely right. They manifest different powers, even though there's only one power. You're, 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 you're right. But why so many gods? One why cannot take the burden of everything. We all need to uh, have our departments of control. So you can say, all right, today I'm too busy. You go to the returns department <laughs> or the refund department. So they have departmentalized everything. Shashi goes to High Krishna temple and only believes in Krishna. You only go to Rama temple, only believe in Rama. Why? It's because the stories were told such a way and then it's what you are drawn to. If you are drawn to... Why uh, are you drawn to it? Why are you drawn to that? Because of all the drama they create when they tell you the stories. No, that's not what we're talking about. Tragedy. It's, it's, it's the work they've done, the types of work they've performed. Okay, you're in, the, you're in the wrong department. Anybody else? Is it something to do with our customers? Yes. Yes. Everyone's vasanas are different. You identify with one God, she identifies with another God because of her different vasanas. Yeah. And also, your vasanas are looking for different things. You're looking for knowledge. She's looking for wealth. He's looking for power. So they will pray to different gods that manifest those qualities. You see, you go into, you know, I remember in Singapore, you go into all these uh, stores, you know, on that road. All the South Indian stores are there. First thing they do in the morning, they come in, they got Lakshmiji's uh, Murti there and they pray. Why? We have a good take-in today. We, we sell a lot of gold and make a lot of money today. Why Lakshmiji? So that's what the first thing they do, even before, as soon as the shop opens, they, you can't disturb them. They do the Lakshmi Puja. Because their interest is in wealth. So they believe Lakshmiji is the God I identify with because it adheres to their vasanas. So wherever, wherever your vasanas desires are going, what they did, see what happened in the olden days is people forget about one God, Brahman, Atman. They can't, they can't identify with that one God. So what these Brahmins did, they put many gods. Wherever the mind went, they put a God. Yeah. So at least even if they're praying to a God for worldly things, they're still thinking of something higher. So they put a God wherever your, wherever your mind, your desires went, they put a God there. So then while you're chasing the world, you still remember God. That's why there's so many different gods. Female God, male God, God with different parts of body, you know, many different things. Um, so wherever the mind went, there was a God. Hundreds of gods, because the mind goes to hundreds of different places. It's quite ingenious, actually, because 
while chasing worldly things, you're still thinking of God. Otherwise, you'll forget completely God, and you'll be involved in the world completely. So that's why they did that. That's why there's so many gods. And it represents the different powers. Any clarifications? So now you know why there's so many gods. But if you're able to identify with the ultimate, just that one God, Brahman, Atman, then you don't need to, you don't need to have all these different gods. You identify Brahman, the one God, then you don't have to identify any of the other gods. It may be inspiring for you to do so, that's fine. But ultimately, you know, this is just a different manifestations. The Hindus are not polytheistic. Hinduism speaks of one God, that is the supreme self in all, Atman Brahman. The different gods and goddesses of the Hindu pantheon are mere representatives of the powers and functions of the one supreme God in the manifested world. There is a general misunderstanding that the Hindu worships many gods and goddesses. The different forms of worship, the number of superstitions and misleading spiritual practices have all contributed to the wrong impression that the Hindus are polytheistic, meaning they have many gods. This is far from the truth. The Hindu worships only one God, be it directly as Brahman or through manifested representations and expressions. So the manifestations and expressions is the multiple gods and the one God is Brahman. So I'll carry on. The Hindu religion is ingeniously designed to treat all types of disorders of the mind. The human mind is most complex. It suffers from multifold diseases. Religion is meant to cure these diseases and regain the spiritual health of individuals. Each individual has to be treated separately according to his disease. There cannot be one doctor, one medicine, one cure for all diseases. Hinduism is like a hospital with its many wards, sections and divisions. Each of them has a distinct purpose to attend to particular needs of a particular disease. They, they are taken care of by specialists in different departments, as Shilavan said. All of them put together cater to all types of ailments of all sorts of people so that every one of them can come out of the hospital as a healthy person. So too does Hinduism have different treatments for different types of individuals to make them whole and realize the Supreme Godhead. So that's why there's so many different paths. The mind is chaotic because of his desires, his vastness. He goes on, which I'm not going to uh, carry on reading, but that's just the general idea of why there's so many gods when there's only one. Different manifestations. Any clarifications? Can you hear me? Hmm? Yeah. So it has addition. So the idea is, is that 
as human beings, we're meant to better ourselves. And the gods that are represented, they kind of represent the ideal of, for example, if we're thinking of Lord Rama, he was the ideal human being because he sacrificed the most. He was the best husband, the best son, the best uh, friend, the best brother. So he, he, the idealisms that he had is what would encourage us to become like him, an ideal human being. So that's when there's so many different gods, it's almost reminding you, why is it that I believe in this God? What are his qualities? And we're meant to, I believe, see if we can take on some of those qualities ourselves to better ourselves as well. Hmm. So as we just said, the many diseases. So you identify with different gods to cure that disease, take on their attributes. So now if anybody asks you why there's so many gods, you, you know how to answer. There's only one God. These are all the different powers represented. That's why there's so many temples in India. Look, how everywhere you go, there's a temple. You can never be too far away from doing your prayers in India. You have a questions, clarifications? Always have to keep something on the side to discuss just in case. Permesh? Do you see them? Okay. All right. Well, if there's nothing else from anyone, we have an early night, I think. Shabin, anything else? To discuss, do you have anything else to discuss? You got the book, good. So you can read it and uh, think about it. You've given me more to read now. Good, that's what I'm here to do, to encourage you to think. So where does uh, the pratnas come into this? Like, you know, when we say our pratna, our daily prayers in the mornings and evenings, although Vedanta doesn't emphasize, I think at our stage it doesn't, maybe at your stage it does. Where, where, where do they come in? Prayers is asking for the grace of God to help you to whatever you're trying to do, achieve that, you know, they keep you in the right direction. In Ashram we wake up at 4, 15, and we have a prayer at 425 outside. It's before we do our morning study. We all line up outside in the middle, in the outside, uh, all the students, and we do a five minute prayer. Yeah. To help us to gain this knowledge, our study goes well, you know, um, and then we go back to our rooms to study. Then we do Gayatri man, man, uh, Mantra. We do prayer before every single class. 
Before a meal, we do a prayer in the ashram. All of us line up and do a prayer. So prayer is a central part of everything we do in the ashram. We're remembering that higher being, you know, and thank God for everything before we do it. Because it's the grace of God that we're able to function. It's that identification. So prayer plays a, a really good role in spirituality. Once again, it's, you're thinking of something higher. No? Every opportunity you get to think of that higher being, you're thinking of God. Bhajans, we have bhajans every evening in the ashram. 7 to 7.30, 7 we have bhajans every single day, seven days a week. So it's a combination of all three. Yoga for the body, yoga for the mind, yoga for the intellect. So it's the three yogas that we practice, but primarily it's intellectual, knowledge-based. But we do all three. Anything that makes you think of that higher being and not of the world, it's useful. Doesn't matter what it is. Even that ring, even this shall pass away. That's think, making you think of something higher. And that poem we did. So any reminder. See, once you, can, once you see the world and it reminds you of God, then you don't need those things. Once you see anything in the world and it reminds you of God, then you're developing. See a bird, oh, amazing how God created that bird. You're thinking of God now. But if you can't do that, then you need all these things to think of God. See, if you think about it, we now we've all in the class, we've discussed the three states of consciousness, dream state, so deep, deep sleep state, dream state, waking state, which is here now. And we said the fourth state was God consciousness, enlightenment, which is our goal. So anything that makes you think of that fourth state, that's useful to us, isn't it? That's helpful to us because that's our destiny. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to achieve. What provoking. Anything else? So for children, a good start is a prayer, right? To teach them, getting them start into any form of spiritual practice. If, they're, if, they, if they are um, open to it, if they're doing it mechanically, then it doesn't really. But if they're open to it, and we can start mechanically, but you can't force them to. Because if you force them to, what happens is then they don't, they, they don't enjoy it and then they don't, they don't take it up. But whatever they enjoy, if they enjoy stories of saints, gods, yeah, like I said, to discuss with Jyoti, you have to see what, what, is, what, what they would uh, be open to. 
if they enjoy praying, then that's fine. Singing, you can make it into singing. If they enjoy that, then that's fine. But initially, you've got to see what they enjoy. See, if it's mechanical, then it, uh, it doesn't, uh, it may not, they may not um, take it up. Long term, I'm talking about. Yeah. Can I ask a question though? Because um, so when I was younger, my my dad um, used to get all of us to sing the Gayatri mantra, and like we had to understand it, and it was you know in our living room, and I I probably just did it not necessarily massively into it, um, but it's almost I I do wonder if by just even saying the mantra in some ways it's unlocking something within us because it's speaking to our deeper a deeper part of us, and then it almost might. You know, yeah, have have some effect on us whether we um, do it, you know, with love or not at the time. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we grew up as well with prayers in the household every day. Uh, I used to go to a Christian school, so I used to pray in the Christian school as yeah. well every day. Yeah, me you too. Know, hymns and stuff. So there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you want them to think of spirituality, then at that age then you have to talk to them in their language, as we said. Mm. It may be stories. If they love reading comics books and so on, you can read comic books on gods and things like that. That would then, they would absorb it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not that they won't pray. They will pray. But they, they may not relate to it in the same way as something that they enjoy doing. Mm. You see, now you're relating to it. Yeah. That time you may have not related to it, you see. No. But now I'm like, oh my god! Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm re I, I'm willingly interested in it now. <laughs> exactly. That's the same with me, by the way. So we're all in the same boat. You've done with the choice. You know. Okay. Great. So we had a good discussion. We learned a little bit. Thinking anything that promotes thinking is good, especially even on a Wednesday night. So, sattvic time, four to six, close as possible. Think about this topic, subject. Just think about this subject whenever you get up. I can't um, explain how beneficial it will be. Your whole day will be very different. You try it for a week, your whole day will be different. More objective. You won't get involved in any arguments with people. Your work will come out much better as well. Try it.